Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Hail Yes, the Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for The Freep, joined as always by Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider. And Reiner, there was an outside shot uh, that around today or soon I'd have a have a flight to Eugene to catch. We'd be talking about some Michigan-Oregon basketball, uh, potentially uh, a Michigan football bowl game that they didn't want to participate in who was leaving the future of the program uh but fortunately uh for most listeners of this podcast it's quite the opposite of course michigan did beat ohio state 30 to 24 on saturday we already had our our brief recap of that um and uh this is the episode to get into more of it uh and also what comes next which is a trip to indy the big 10 championship and reiner i can almost hear saint elmo's uh calling our name yeah it's a Good steak town, so I assume that those places are going to be packed. Uh, Harry and Izzy's, uh, St. Elmo's, probably Pogo de Chow. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a lot of meat, a lot of meat sweats. Well, well there's that, so that's it's the reason to get in on Friday night. I was debating Friday night or Saturday night, be, like just driving in Saturday. That's not the real reason to get on Friday. You know, it's because it's a long night, right? The game starts at eight. It is a very long night of work. And then we expect them to win the next day. I mean, the college football playoff, all the coverage and everything, right? It's just a lot to do the four, four and a half hour drive on the day of, then the full game coverage, the post game the next day. Um, so then I guess you get a, a Friday night dinner too. So that doesn't hurt. Uh, but hope, all right. I hope you enjoy yeah. <laughs> so do you have, do you have your flight? Have we have? Yeah, I, I, I'm leaving Saturday, so uh, okay. getting in Saturday. So I've I've been to Indy too many times. Uh, I, I feel I feel like it's the one city that draws me there for uh, many different reasons in my life, and I can't seem to escape it. <laughs> I mean, back since, you've been going back since the uh, you, you talked about the NFL comb was it the yeah, combine? combine yeah combine yeah yeah, yeah. doing that I mean what, whatever it just seems like I you know even going back to college I had some kind of symposium thing that I had to go to Indy for so it's uh, yeah. yeah it's crazy yeah I think this is my so since very quickly since last summer this is going to be my sixth trip to Indy so two big so two Big Ten media days. Two Big Ten championships, a football game uh, at in Bloomington, and I go through Indy. It's 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 so expensive to stay in Bloomington. I just stay in Indy, and and a basketball game in Bloomington last year. So six times in <laughs> Indy. But before we talk about uh, Michigan and Iowa and the game in Indy, uh, let's a, l- a little bit more uh, into how how they got there uh, and what feels like potentially the end of an era. Uh, for for this Michigan Ohio State game, right? Uh, not that it won't be happening. Thankfully, it's courts protected. But even Jesse Minner, defensive coordinator, who we spoke with today, or was it, sorry, Kirk Campbell, we also spoke with him, quarterbacks coach, who said, "Look, like th- this is the last time that this level, so we think, of stakes will will be on it. Of course, they'll always matter, but 
just with the playoff expanding and and those sorts of things. And so you could certainly tell uh, they were happy to get that that last one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a different set of circumstances that uh, both of these teams will face in this new era with the expanded playoff. I mean, you know, there's a possibility they could play them twice, maybe even three times, you know, de- depending on how things shake out in the future in one one particular season. So it kind of uh, somewhat reduces the impact of this game uh, as a res- regular season showdown. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the same token, uh, you know, it potentially sets up, you know, still high stakes affairs, depending on, you know, what, what uh, you know, where they would meet, whether it's in the Big Ten championship game in the future or again down the line in the playoffs so it's not necessarily going to reduce the feel of it it just in the context of the regular season yes it's probably not going to be the same as it was on saturday where everything was on the line right but i feel like everyone keeps stopping short in that thought right like yes that's the case however could you imagine if there was a big 10 championship on the line right like 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 next year, next year it would actually be Washington for whatever it's worth because they're still undefeated. But if you go into that final week not knowing what the possible ramifications are, and then Michigan would not have been able to talk as much smack, right? Like, or say in two weeks they or three weeks they meet they met in the college football playoff because the, the playoff would start sooner once there's twelve teams, uh, and and then it's not it's not just a regular season game, but it is to end the season, right? So there still will be very big uh, Michigan and Ohio State games. And uh, this one was already a very big one. The the numbers came out uh, 19.1 million viewers, the most viewed Michigan-Ohio State game since 06, uh, the number one versus number two matchup. Most viewed non-play, like SEC title game or or playoff game in in what, Ryan, or like like 10 years or something? I mean, 2011, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. LSU, it's the most viewed regular season game since LSU-Alabama in 2011. Right, right. And so, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a huge deal and kind of somewhat draws away or, you know, kind of refutes Harbaugh's statement earlier this week saying that this is a media-driven rivalry that just, um, you know, it's just something that, you know, is just overly hyped or whatever. I mean, clearly – this is, you know, seen as the biggest game of the year. The programs themselves look at it that way. I mean, Michigan has a beat Ohio drill. Uh, I mean, OSU, you know, I think has a countdown clock. And I mean, they they're I mean, they reward their players with those gold pants at the end of every uh, victory, um, and uh, it's an important thing to them. Uh, I mean, again, they don't even call Michigan Michigan, and so to. To suggest that, yeah, exactly. To suggest that this is a a media-driven rivalry is pretty crazy. And then you have Jesse Minter at the end of the victory on Saturday waving goodbye to the OSU players. Like, you know, I don't think he would ever do that against any other opponent. So, uh, you know, for for Jim Harbaugh to suggest that, you know, that the media is just concocting this rivalry and it's just not, uh, it it just, you know, it seems (laughs) like it's not Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah, it seems disingenuous at, at best. I mean, you know, again, Harbaugh, even going back to his playing days, guaranteed a victory against Ohio State, knowing what that meant and and such. And, you know, again, that was one of his, like, signature moments that he guaranteed the victory and then won the game. And then so it's, uh, it, it's uh, you know, it's crazy to hear Jim Harbaugh kind of, you know, tamp down 
the impact of the rivalry itself and like and and suggest that it's just kind of manufactured. Well, and well, I mean, let's say he had said it about the Michigan State rivalry, rivalry, right? Like where it had gotten to uh, last year, I, I could see that. But this, I get, and I mean, if you if you want to take it one step further, right? He and Ryan Day were the two who couldn't even say each other's name, who couldn't say the word respect, who who danced all around it. Whereas the players all week were like. Yo, like they're really good. Like this is the best team we lined up against. Like I thought, it, like it's exactly how a rivalry should be, right? Like super heated, super passionate, but still an underlying of respect. Like, yo, we 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 got to be on one, uh, or or we're gonna get beat. And uh, I think you know, I wonder if Harbaugh's comments though stem from you know, again, his whole tenure was defined up until the twenty twenty one win over Ohio State by the fact that he couldn't beat the Buckeyes. And I think that probably stuck in his crawl. He probably didn't think he was any worse of a coach then than he was when after he won that game. And I think Yeah, it, but he's it, not trying to come to bat for Ryan Day, right? No, but I think but there was some element that I think, you know, as he looks at his tenure long term and who knows what his next step is. I mean, there's obviously a lot of speculation about this could be his like maybe he's trying to kind of point to the idea that you know, this is this was, uh, you know, un, uh, unfair to him, you know, maybe in a weird way, unfair to Ryan Day that, you know, your whole coaching tenure could be defined by this one game. And I, I see I, I wonder if that really kind of bothered him up until 2021. Obviously, he doesn't have that same issue now having won three straight uh, against the Buckeyes. But it does seem like that that might have been part of the motivation behind his comments. I mean, that's the nature of these jobs. Like, that's your job. You you got hired at Michigan to beat Ohio State. That's what matters. And, and, and now that he's been able to do it, I find it hard to believe that he would be going backwards saying, oh, like, like you know, like it's, it's, it's gone too far. But 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 he could have. Um, I want to now that Michigan has beaten Ohio State, obviously it has bridged the gap to Iowa um, and, and, and to the Big Ten title game. But before we get all the way there. So a lot of the pieces who have helped done that, helped do that, are transfers. Uh, and I just wanted to touch on them really quickly. There's a piece up on Freep.com that I wrote uh, on Wednesday uh, just ab- about it. And James Turner is was sort of one, one of the thoughts about it. But there's no stars uh, among, among – well, a lot of them are very solid. But there is no – none of them are the household names. It's not J.J. McCarthy. It's not Blake Corum. It's not Roman Wilson, right? The guys who are scoring 50 touchdowns, all, all combined, literally 50 touchdowns. Um, and, and, and the P and the names that everybody has known for all these years, but what the, what the depth of all these transfers have done and the tone it has set for the transfer Porter transfer portal era, uh, I think for Michigan is extremely uh, important. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that, you know, obviously you, there were there were depth pieces, and it's easy. It was easy to market Michigan to those players because uh, they already appeared ready made. They just needed some, you know, additional help, and so that was an easy sell job, I think, to to get some of these guys in. I mean, obviously they've had issues with, you know, or they've had issues in the past bringing in transfers because of the, you know, transfer credit issue, and so um, it was good that they got these impact players. I mean, I think 
you know, again, adding any kind of depth pieces is always important, uh, whether they come for be a high school recruiting or the portal, um, uh, or just through sheer development. I mean, look at a Quinn and Johnson. I mean, like, it's just a guy that, you know, has developed over the course of his tenure there. And so he's now able to help Michigan in a big way. So it doesn't matter really where it comes from. It's just, you know, it's, it's, a, but you know, these guys obviously, you know, have to be the right fit when they're coming in from another program and can't really disrupt the chemistry. And I think, uh, again, these guys have, have proven to, you know, obviously keep uh, and integrate themselves pretty easily into the Michigan culture. Right. I guess it may seem like a random thought. The reason just personally it was on my mind is, I mean, you see, look at what Twitter looks like right now, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure you're the one who covers both programs. Half of Michigan State's team is in the transfer portal. I mean, there are guys, the portal is going to open on December 4th. It's that time again. And so you already need to be looking forward. But uh, but Michigan is, is still in the throes of it, just like last year, where they're in that identifying people who are going to fit. Like, hey, we may have guys leaving. We may not. Where are we going to need it? And just look like, I mean, uh, <laughs> Michigan's entire starting offense was – earned all big 10 honors of some level, right? First team, second team, third team, or honorable mention 11 guys on offense. Um, and, and that includes uh, Ladarius Henderson, second team, a transfer from Arizona state, Drake Nugent, Stanford, uh, the, the center. Um, even, I think even AJ Barner uh, from Indiana was a, was it was an honorable mention. Um, and so it's just, well, Michigan's going to have a huge, huge exodus of talent. I mean, they're going to have a huge attrition. So, uh, whether they get it through the poor, I think, you know, they're going to have some challenges to face because, I mean, like, you know, you, you can pick and choose guys for, again, to plug in for these roles now. But, I mean, like, they're, they're going to have a lot of, you know, holes to fill. And, again, if they have, they run into some of the same issues with the transfer credits, I mean, where, the, you know, again, they have to take maybe a guy who's only a freshman because, you know, there's not enough uh, – it won't set him too far back, you know, if he loses the credits in the transfer or – you know, they have to resort to taking grad transfers that limits their options. And so it, it might not necessarily be the, the, the fix all solution that it was this year where they, again, they were just adding little pieces here and there to, to I mean, when you're trying to do it from a, a, a much lower holistic scale, massive scale, it's going to be much more challenging to do that than it is to be able to kind of do it in a bespoke fashion, which they did this year. Certainly, certainly. Uh, I mean, there's just going to be more like you're asking people to do less. You're getting talent. I, I mean, there's just more room for error when you need yeah. more people, when you need more people to do it. But just the point like that Jesse Minter made was you get a guy like Josiah Stewart. It just speaks to the culture, at least. Uh, he was a like freshman of the year, an all league player, 13 sacks at Coastal Carolina. He comes in and he actually he does not even start. Right. He is in that second group, that rally group. Um, and he, he splits time on the edge, uh, to, to, to buy into something. So I just, uh, now that the regular season was over and, and the portal was opening up, I just thought it was a good time to look back and say, wow, like, well, I mean, mm-hmm. Ernest Hausman, how he helped the linebackers. I mean, Minter said that they were hanging, quote, hanging on by a thread with junior Colson and Michael Barrett last year. Not that they weren't good players, but just their bodies were beat up and Hausman can play both the mic and the and the and the will right and so he's he's spelled both of them uh josh wallace right michigan secondary has been really banged up this year that was a very big addition uh as well to uh so i mean just all over the field i think it really really helped what what they were able to do yeah i mean uh, exactly um you know it, it's interesting i mean obviously um 
you know, again, a, a lot could change, you know, given the roster. And also think, you know, it, it's interesting to consider the impact of, you know, whatever happens to Michigan also on Ohio State. Because, again, I, I don't think it could be lost in the fact that how much this rivalry has flipped in the last, you know, three years or you know, so. I mean, from where really Ohio State had a huge psychological edge for 10 years. I mean, you know, Michigan, I mean, they went in with this kind of invincibility factor that, it was clear with Michigan. It didn't matter what team that Michigan seemed to field. They, they, you know, they were at a disadvantage against uh, yeah. Ohio State. And now it, it it is flipped, and like Michigan has the huge psychological edge. You know, Ryan Day does. You know, has entered the Harbaugh's territory where he was zero. Harbaugh was zero and five, and there were so many questions about you know whether he can get it done and get over the hump. Now it's the same thing with Ryan Day. And I, you know, I, I think it's going to end up, you know, having a, a long-term effect potentially. Now, I mean, again, the what what's going on with Michigan right now? I mean, and the uncertainty as it relates to what's with these investigations hanging over the program. You know, I mean, are we going to see this being the last chapter in, in this stanza of the rivalry? I don't know. I mean, it, it's it, it's interesting. I again, I think regardless of what happens, Michigan as you know, the edge from a psychological standpoint over Ohio State. Yeah, I it, they certainly seem to have proven that. But that's a good segue, Reiner. I want to um, – is, so is the scandal over, right? Michigan – has Michigan proven that they beat Ohio State without signs, so now nothing to, nothing to see here? Or is it – or is it that they still cheated and they should be super horribly reprimanded for everything they did? Or is it somewhere in between? Where, where are we now? that Michigan has beat Ohio State uh, seemingly uh, on, on, on the up and up, on a, on a very fair playing field in, in a classic? I mean, I think it helps Michigan, uh, you know, temporarily. I think, you know, again, winning is the best cleanser, as they say. And I, I think that the, you know, the victory for what it did was whitewash kind of, you know, the scandal for now. I mean, the media's attention has been muted as far as that's concerned. They're, they're again, writing about, what Michigan is doing on the field, not what they're doing off the field. And so I think that's the ultimate effect, but it doesn't really change or exonerate, you know, necessarily what uh, Michigan uh, or potentially, uh, you know, I guess totally uh, eliminate the idea that, that Michigan you know, may have committed something or, or bad or done something bad in the, in this, in that sense. So I think it, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, totally just suppresses the scandal, but uh, from a media standpoint, it certainly uh, takes some of the attention away from it. Well, it does. And also what people have to remember, like I remember people thinking that the media was piling on and like, Oh, why is it coming out one day at a time? Well, a, it was all new. It was all new information and it was, everyone was learning on the fly. And also it was a bye week, right? Like there were not all these other things going on, and and it was not Michigan Ohio State. It was not Big Ten Championship. It was a bye week in October. Like it was, it was just there were thirteen days of news cycle for it to get caught uh, to to get caught up, in. and that's not to make a point one way or the or the other. I I suppose like not to take away from. I mean, now people do need to write about Big Ten Championships and things, but you're right. I don't think I don't think it's now just gone right as it feels right now like it feels like a few weeks ago there was a time where it felt like maybe the sky was falling right when chris partridge is getting fired when jim harbaugh's suspension is getting like when they when they accept accept it and all those things 
But now it feels like, oh, that's all. Harbaugh served his suspension all in the past. I don't think either is true, right? Like it's just uh, it's, it's just tabled for now. But for now, things are very good. And uh, that's and that's all that really matters in this moment. Uh, and in this moment, it looks like there's an Iowa team that's about to get outright stomped uh, on, on Saturday in Indianapolis. Uh, maybe my favorite sports betting statistic I've ever seen. Uh, maybe ever. Uh, Iowa to score half a point to score in the first half at all is even money. So meaning if you are betting that Iowa is going to get shut out in the first half, like they will not score, you have to bet $130 to win $100. You are laying money if you believe they will not score. They are projected not to score in a half of a championship football game. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, but again, it speaks to the issues that have been ongoing with that program and the offense and Brian Ferentz and uh, just not being able to get out of the Stone Age uh, offensively. And um, you know, I think they were they were banking on getting some more production, obviously from Cade McNamara and Eric All, but both are injured. Uh, former Michigan players that uh, were, were critical to their success in twenty twenty one. Um, especially um, have not, you know, been been a huge part of the team, obviously, recently. And so it's uh, it, um, it's it's kind of, uh, I, I guess, kind of really, they're, they're all they're offensive. offensively. I mean, but again, from a strategy standpoint, I mean, they've always been playing with one hand tied behind their back. And their offense was no good. Their offense was no good, frankly. Like, like a lot of Michigan players are saying kind things about Cade and Eric, and, and they're they're good players. So I'm not taking it away. Iowa's offense was no good when Cade McNamara and Eric Hall were healthy. Like right. they were still not good. Right. Um, and then when you lose your starting quarterback and theoretically the best tight end on your roster, in uh, we all know the pedigree of Iowa tight ends. Um, look, look what what happens. I mean, it's why I mean, Jerome Moore is going to win the Broyles Award. As uh, as the top uh, assistant in the nation, but how Phil Parker doesn't win it every year is kind of beyond me. I mean, so you think automatically Moore wins it? I'm just curious. I do, I I, th- I think it's locked. I think it's locked now. I do. Um, well, or, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I would I would argue Parker. I mean, you know what what he's done. I mean, again, I, oh I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm arguing with you. Yeah, it's, right. It's it's, rem- it's amazing. This offense should be three and nine. This is a three and nine. Team. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're yeah. ten and two with with with, with not a speck of offense. They rank mm-hmm. dead last. I mean, in in total yards, they're bottom five in points. Uh, I mean, they they don't possess the ball. They don't throw the ball. They don't run the ball. They do nothing. They do literally nothing. Well, they they're Michigan State uh, on offense. They're the same. They're the same level. Uh, and and Michigan uh, beat Michigan State uh, forty nine to zero. Um, but obviously, this defense much better. Uh, Jay Higgins, uh, linebacker, uh, I believe was defensive player of the year uh, for, for for the Big Ten, um, and then Cooper DeGene, uh, who I think we had both we both had both of them on our all Big Ten teams. Reiner, mm-hmm. you're impressed with them? Yeah, I mean, you know, but I mean, obviously, Cooper DeGene's hurt and uh, uh, right now, and so um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean. The, the, from a defensive standpoint, they've always been strong. They've always been playing very solid zone schemes, and uh, they know exactly what to do in the situation. I mean, a lot of the reason why they create turnovers is because they have their eyes on their quarterback. You know, it'll be hard. You know, 
particularly, um, you know, key for JJ McCarthy just to kind of uh, be able to find uh, guys in the soft spot of the zone. I mean, guys sitting down on their routes, like, I mean, I expect to see a lot of that with, you know, uh, Colson Loveland and Barner and, you know, and guys kind of floating and Robin Wilson's really good at being able to identify. I mean, we saw that against in the UNLV game, they were running a lot of zone concepts in that game. And, you know, uh, again, Roman Wilson was able to find uh, spots in the zone. And that that's what good, good players, good, smart players do. And Michigan has a lot of them. So I don't think that this kind of defense is going to be, you know, too much for them to be able to contend with. Uh, you know, they might not score nearly as much as they typically do, but it'll be more than enough against Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, field goal might be more than enough. Yeah. Uh, again, against Iowa. I don't know that there's all that much more to talk about with this game, right? It's before there were, I mean, you're going to big. I mean, big 10 championship is very exciting, but that's what was won. It feels like last year, right? The big 10 championship was just won by beating Ohio state. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's such a weird dynamic, uh, going from a hot, like sort of coming down, but they, they need to maintain, right? Like you can't sleepwalk is, is sort of the worry or the praise, but, that's against a team that is more capable. I mean, Iowa's just not – I mean, they haven't scored more than 20 points in a game since 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 September. I do think it's interesting some of the McNamara's comments about, you know, wanting to help, you know, um, uh, prep, the you know, the players for, for this game and, you know, say, feeling like he's got inside info on what Michigan does. And, and then, like, again, Kirk Ferentz on Sunday basically saying that, you know, the, this intel that players provide or from coming from other teams. He was talking about his experience in the NFL where they tend to sign a player off a practice squad or, you know, right. uh, right. to then just bring them in for a week and, and that kind of thing and uh, try to get some lowdown on, on that particular team. He, he feels it's like way overblown and he would prefer to just evaluate uh, the film and uh, such and uh, you know again I just don't think that that's going to have much of an effect I mean like what Cade knows about that doesn't mean that you know and I'm sure Kirk Ferentz can diagnose everything he can you know possibly that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to stop it uh, you know the uh, the players uh, you know have to execute and Michigan just has better players than Iowa yeah Cade McNamara on the sideline is not going to beat Will Johnson uh in pass coverage, right? So, all right. Uh, but it is a lopsided spread, 23 points. Um, that's a lot. Uh, most teams don't score 23 against Iowa. So will Michigan cover? Will they not? We will make our picks for all five Power 5 championship games on the other side of the break. Uh, so don't go anywhere. This is how it is. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It is time for the picks. And as always, for that, we bring in our producer. Uh, and really today, I should call him editor. 
Uh, even though he is both, he's Andrew Burkle. Uh, he's doing. I think he's. I think he's <laughs> double tasking, multitasking uh, is the phrase. Uh, doing a little bit of everything right now as he helps us get this show off the ground. Um, but I think he's going to take a, a break from that to do this. What's up, Andrew? Tony, there is always time for college football picks. Any time of the day. I don't know yeah, if you remember yeah. Tony and I used to work together at an old job and. I'd, I'd used to print out some some before football season. We'd print out things and look at things with our friend Connor. So there's always time for college football picks. We would get in a lot of trouble sitting in the WLNS uh, <laughs> newsroom studios. Uh, just if you could imagine. So this is like a newsroom with not a lot of sports people in it. The sports desk department is in a completely separate wing. But uh, Andrew and I do have a uh, and, our, and our third friend, the, the aforementioned Connor. He's the worst of the three of us, I would say. Oh, by far. Yes. Yeah, he is. Okay. He's uh, he lives and breathes college football spreads. But speaking of spreads, let's take a look at this week here. So some high spreads, considering it is you know it's championship week. You should have some close games here, and I'm not totally ruling it out. But uh, let's start with one that will not hope uh, probably be close, and that's Michigan twenty three point favorites over Iowa. Uh, Tony, who you got? Michigan. Uh, I'm surprised it's only twenty three. I know that we just talked about Iowa's defense, really good, yada yada. Michigan's going to score more than 23 or 26 points. My only concern is Michigan know like Michigan's in the college football playoff. They're going to win this game. I think that pretty early they take their foot off the gas, right? Like they get up 20 to zero. It's 20 to zero at the half. They score two long touchdown drives, two field goal drives. And then it's just kind of run, punt, run, punt. But I still think they're too good. I think they get it to... They almost end up at 40 somehow, uh, maybe 38 to three. Uh, so Michigan. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go with Michigan as well. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Again, I was kind of on the fence because I do think Iowa could limit them a little bit offensively, but uh, again, I just think they'll be able to score more than 23 points. And I don't know if Iowa can score a single point. And that that's the, that's the question. I think Iowa needs probably a defensive score of some sort to be able to maybe maybe get on the scoreboard here i mean it's it's going to be uh tough sledding for them uh from a from a defense i i could also see again the just the the pressure from the interior tackles for michigan creating a lot of problems for deacon hill um you know and forcing some some stuff that he would not prefer to do and and then you know i don't know if their running game can get going either against michigan so um, yeah, I'm taking the 23, but I don't, I don't know how confident I am. And, you know, Michigan just blowing the doors off them from an offensive standpoint either. This Iowa season has been just downright hilarious. Uh, the final year of the big 10 West. Uh, I mean, we know Iowa hasn't been blowing teams out, but the teams they've been playing, they've been playing. Let's let's like, let's not lose sight of this. Purdue barely beat Purdue. Wisconsin beat them by nine. Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska. Those were the last, what, six, seven games of the season? I mean, those are teams that, like, Michigan State was competing with. And Michigan State just got blown off the planet by Penn State. So I, I just don't think that these two teams, these two divisions are in even the same the same ballpark. And I think you you got to go with the points. you got you got to just swallow points. And we're actually making it a little tougher on ourselves than we need to because – you look around, there is some that are have Michigan as like 21 and a half here on ESPN. Uh, I'm not sure. I think they use Caesar or, oh, well, no, they use ESPN bet over 
uh, on ESPN. So there are some different lines here as well, but we'll take the 23. We'll be, we'll be uh, man enough about it. And, and we're all laying it anyway. So it shouldn't make too big of a difference. Right, Tony, you're, you're making a face. That's right. Well, I didn't, this is the one I didn't check again today. I, I would love my point and a half, but we are all on the same side. So for whatever it's worth, um, this one, cause I, I, I'd known what the spread was yesterday. The other games I was not familiar with. So I looked them up, uh, but of course spreads move and normally it's only by half a point. So I apologize for anyone. Oh, point and a half. Well, a the hilarious part about this game is the over under. I think we we mentioned this uh, last week about Iowa's over unders. I think it was twenty six and a half last week. Still only thirty five and a half. But Michigan is a twenty one and a half point favorite. So uh, or toward, uh, so twenty three points, whatever you want, wherever you want to look. So it's the the over under is still comically low. I mean, you have to start yeah. figuring out how what what scores are they even inputting to to get those, but. Uh, that, that that is Iowa football. It doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> yeah. I'm saying 29-7. I'm just trying to math it out. That's that's bad. Okay, uh, let's move. Do we want to save Alabama Georgia for last? Let, let's save that one for last because I think it's probably the most fun game. Let's go with uh, Florida State and Louisville. Uh, Florida State, a uh, two and a half point favorite, uh, is all over Louisville. Despite you know finishing the year twelve and zero. Obviously, by now, everyone knows that Jordan Travis down for the year with a uh, horrifying leg injury. But, uh, Reiner, let's start with you. Who do you got, Louisville or Florida State? I'm going to go with Louisville here. And uh, I'm just not so confident in Florida State after, you know, the Travis injury. And I also, you know, really like Jeff Brom in some of these big games. I mean, he seems to always come up with something uh, to give uh, a team that arguably looks superior on paper. you know, some fits. So uh, that's his, that's his historic MO. And so I think uh, again, you know, Louisville will be able to come out and uh, (laughs) create some problems for, for Florida state. Um, Even though I don't think that they performed exactly that great towards the end of the season themselves. I mean, the loss to Kentucky was not a great one. Uh, You know, the, the, this last, this past week for Louisville, but uh, I, I, again, I think they hit the reset button and, uh, get this win actually against uh, Florida state. Yeah. Well, they, they have not been uh, full steam ahead to, to the finish line, right? Obviously the Jordan Travis injury was, uh, was devastating for them. However, I think I would still argue the four or five most talented players on the field at, at any time uh, are still all Seminoles, right? Uh, Jared verse might be the best defensive end in the, in the country. Uh, they have perhaps one of the top, pair of wide receiver duos and Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. And then uh, Trey Benson, the running back is just, I mean, he's just a bulldozer. He, uh, he, and he still has like that speed. He hits the hole hard. Um, he's not like just like a bowling ball who runs forward for three. I mean, he is a beast of a back. And so uh, they're 12 and zero, right? Like everyone is like, Oh, Florida state's going to lose, going to lose. It's like, well, I mean, they're not going to just like, Quit. And this is Louisville. This is not one of these elite, elite teams. So only two and a half points. I like Florida State to keep the dream alive one more week. Florida State. Uh, I, I'm in the same boat as Ryan here. I think I got scared off by the the Florida game last week. I mean, it, it was it just was it didn't look it didn't look smooth. It didn't look like anything was coming easy. And that was they had a hard time getting the ball to Keon Coleman early uh, as yeah. well in that game. Um, so, yes, they have great playmakers, but. Uh, and even if, it, and like you said, they had so much more talent. Uh, that's you know that's a given. Florida State should always have more talent than Louisville. This is an exceptionally talented Florida State team. It just losing the quarterback as as the final 
a few weeks of the season. And I, that's different than losing it even before the season where you have time to, to kind of reinvent yourself. I, I just don't, I don't really love the spot for Florida state. They, they feels like they've kind of been stumbling the last few weeks. Uh, yes. Florida, uh, Florida state did win last week. Louisville lost. I, I just, I just feel like this has Florida state lost written all over it. And it would do the committee a huge favor if they did, um, because that's going to be a, a, a iffy situation where, you know, imagine Alabama wins, you know, imagine Texas wins and, and one of Oregon and Washington will be in there. Florida State, you're going to have a hard time making a case that they're one of the four best teams in the country uh, without the quarterback over Texas, who's beat Alabama. Alabama, who would have beaten Georgia. Georgia would maybe be on the line. It's just like it could be it could get messy. So mm-hmm. so it, they would be doing the committee a huge favor. Uh, Louisville would be if they could knock off Florida State. Yeah. And, and you know, again, Florida State, just, I mean, Tate Rodemaker, I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a tough task to come in and and try to move the offense. But I mean, you know, again, against Florida, I mean, he, he is averaging 5.4 yards per attempt. I mean, they got those great playmakers on the outside as Johnny Wilson, and Keon Coleman. But I mean, can he get the ball to them? And, you know, Louisville's got the 25th ranked scoring defense in the country. I mean, that's not, that's not bad. So, I mean, like, you know, they're going to probably create some issues for Florida state. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm not convinced in FSU right now. All right. Let's move on now to the Big 12 title game. Yeah, let's let's save the blast the best two for last year. So we'll do Big 12 now. Uh Texas versus Oklahoma State. The Longhorns, 15-point favorites over Oklahoma State. Uh one final time here before they go their separate ways. And uh Texas heads to the SEC. So uh Tony, who are you taking? Well, my call uh, to take Texas Tech last week was uh, certainly my best of the year. So got a great read on Texas going right now. Um, but uh, but I'm just going to flip it. Uh, and you don't like to just chase, however, like 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 you don't chase what just happened. That said, uh, Texas is, I, I mean, Texas has to win and not just win, win in style, right? Like style points certainly matter here. Uh, and so I don't think they will ever take their foot off the gas. And um and so I just like them to, to to cover. That's it, Reiner. Yes, uh, I mean Texas. Uh, yeah, I mean uh, I'm going with Texas too. I just think you know again, uh, you know their their offense is going to create enough of uh, issues for Oklahoma State. I mean OSU uh, has been susceptible on defense all year, and you know they've got Alan Bowman at quarterback, and uh, I know Michigan fans are familiar with that, but I just don't know if he can go toe to toe with with Texas in this type of game. And, you know, Texas knows what's on the line for them. I mean, they've got a shot at a potential college football playoff berth. So I don't think there's going to be any lack of motivation on their end. And the fact that the game is going to be in Dallas, they'll have a ton of, ton of fans. They're, they're, they're alums and everybody is champing at the bit to, to have a game like this where, you know, they could possibly go to the college football playoff and really say Texas is back. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty probably very partisan Texas crowd, I would think, in, in Dallas. Oklahoma State's got to be one of the weirdest college football teams uh, in the country this year. I mean, they get just destroyed by South Alabama early on, followed up with a loss to Iowa State. Then they win one, two, three, four, four games in a row. They're looking good. They get killed by UCF, just murdered, 45-3. to three. And then they uh, they have wins over – uh, Oklahoma. I mean, it's just like they've been all little all over the map this week, and I'm predicting that they are going to continue that uh, that up and downness. And I'm I, I think 15 is just kind of a 
it's kind of a, a lot of points for uh, a game that I think could be close, especially uh, considering some of the weird stuff that t- tends to happen in the, the Big 12 championship game over the years. Uh, what we saw last year, for example, TCU uh, falls in the in the Big 12 championship game but still makes it to the playoff. T- uh, Texas won't have that luxury this year, but I'm still going to take the 15 points, and I think it's going to be uh, a start to the uh, the championship Saturday with kind of a close game that maybe Texas pulls out at the last second, but 15 points uh, is more than enough for that. So uh, I'm rolling with, the, with uh, Oklahoma State here. Let's take a look at Pac-12 title game now. Oregon and Washington, the rematch that everyone's been looking forward to. Uh, it's been you know forecast and talked about for, for weeks here now. We all saw it coming. Uh, despite Washington winning the, the first time around, Oregon is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite uh, over the Huskies. So, uh, Tony... Why is that, and who are you picking? Uh, that's because uh, Washington's offense does not look, I mean, just completely unstoppable anymore, right? And, uh, I mean, just Oregon just feels more, well-round, more well-rounded, more well right? Like, it feels like Washington has to do it with uh, this downfield passing attack with a Dunze on the outside and, uh, and a couple other big targets. But Oregon just kind of hammers you, right? Like, I mean, they have two running backs with 10 touchdowns. Uh, Bo Nix is completing almost 80% of his passes. <laughs> 37 touchdowns, two interceptions. He, they protect the ball. They run it. Uh, they, they just do everything well. And uh, nine and a half is enough to be like, oh, well, Washington, you're getting that many points. Like, give me the points. If it's that, if it feels that much like you should take the points, go the other way. So Oregon's going to, they're going to cover that big number. Probably like it's seven, like Oregon leads by seven in the fourth, and then a late touchdown sort of puts it away. Yeah, the, I mean, I think uh, Oregon uh, is just a, a, a more complete team than Washington, and they've been a stronger team since the two teams played uh, in Seattle. And so, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, again, their their defense is, uh, you know, ranked seventh in the country. Their scoring offense is ranked second. Bo Nix is great. Uh, you know, Troy Franklin receiver, I mean, Bucky Irving, the running back. I mean, they, they've got guys all over the field that can make plays. And I just think they're a stronger team right now. This, like you said, Tony, that nine and a half, it just stares at you, right? It's like, man, that's a lot of points, but that just tells you they are begging people to bet on Washington here. And, And for good reason, Oregon has been the more complete football team basically ever since the two squads played. Uh, it's kind of a football cliche, but if you if you watch the games, if you look at the stats, Washington has just been like kind of a uh, Florida State e here down the stretch where they've kind of like barely pulled out that game uh, against Washington State. Uh, they had a, a flirtation with Stanford a while back. Like they've just kind of been not clicking on all cylinders like they were earlier in the year. Michael Penix will still make two or three unbelievable throws a day. Uh, their the receivers are great. But Oregon, I just think, is more more smash mouth. And, and, and you can't put a, a point spread or a price on how tough it is to beat someone uh, two times in one season in college football. Mm-hmm. It's tough in the NFL where you're used to playing Green Bay twice a year if you're the Lions. Anytime that happens in college football, you always have to you always have to consider that, that it's really tough to, for two uh, similar caliber teams uh, to, to win twice. So, so I'm going with Oregon as well, and I'm not getting suckered by the points. It's, it's funny. I was just gonna make one quick. It still feels like a lot of points. Like, I, 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 I would have thought it was six and a half. I would have guessed six and a half, and that's still a pretty sizable favorite. But 
We've, we've, no, you're we, right. Because I was, we have to stay strong. You have to stick to your, do not your get, drums, yes. Don't right? get suckered by, by, because I can't. So last, like last week when I was watching, uh, Oregon crush Oregon State, which we'll touch on a little bit, but more on Oregon State, Michigan State connection here later. I was watching Oregon State uh, get beat pretty badly, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get suckered by the points, no matter how much it is six and a half, seven. And I opened, I'm like, nine and a half. It's kind of a lot. I'm still not going to get suckered. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, let's take a look at the last game here. This one should be fun, uh, but you know, with Georgia these days, you just never know. They, they can blow out pretty much anybody. Georgia, Alabama, the SEC championship game, just vintage SEC title game vibes here. Uh, Alabama, five and a half point underdogs uh, against the Bulldogs. Uh, Reiner, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I was not impressed with Alabama and the Iron Bowl. I mean, having to squeak that out uh, at the last second on a miracle play of, you know, fourth and 31, you know, Jalen Milrow having to throw the ball to the back of the end zone and uh, don't know what was going on there. I mean, Hugh Freeze creates issues for Nick Saban historically that goes back to their time at Ole Miss. But still, I mean, that was not an encouraging performance. Now you're walking into the mall of Georgia in Atlanta, SEC title game. You know, again, Kirby's already removed the the stigma that he couldn't, you know, knock off Saban. Uh, that's already uh, – he did it in the championship game. There's It doesn't exist anymore where – uh, you know, that, that fear factor is there. And then you have add in the fact that Georgia's just been rolling with the offense. I mean, they sat out a couple, a couple guys, Bowers and Lad McConkey in the Georgia tech game. And, uh, you know, still, still were like, you know, I mean, that was a clear sign that they were just gearing up for this game against Alabama. And I think they're just going to come out guns blazing. And, you know, they've, they again, have gotten stronger over the course of the season. Uh, so has Alabama. But that last game gave me pause against Auburn. That was that was the most discouraging performance probably since uh, week three against South Florida. South Florida. <laughs> yeah, I think you say like, how does that happen? Uh, I think it happens because you're preparing for Georgia for two weeks, right? Uh, even if it was Auburn and your and your rival, Alabama's like, we we can handle them. This is a two week Georgia prep, and they almost got caught. They almost got caught. They did get caught, and they, and they escaped. Yeah, uh, frankly, yeah. frankly. Um, but really, you are just, uh, the, just, just the president of 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 the uh, the Lad McConkey fan club. Which uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, but five, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Georgia's had Alabama's number for for a number of years now, but. Alabama doesn't have to win uh, for for Alabama to cover this number, and I just think that they lose by a field goal. Um, they have un- until last week they had been playing much better, uh, and it's just it just feels like Andrew said it at the top, right? Like this is this is SEC football, um, and it kind of looked like earlier in the year we weren't going to get it right, and like kind of the two teams just sort of they peaked. Maybe right now Alabama didn't peak last week, but I'm not I'm not going to let everybody's allowed one down game. That was it, and I think I think they keep it tight. So I, I don't think they will be able to pull out the win, but I think they keep it tight. So I'll take the points. No, who doesn't have down football games? Georgia. Georgia just consistently kicks butt. You know, with the, maybe the exception of like last year against Missouri was kind of a weird game. I mean, they they, they South Car- South Carolina they were down South 10 Carolina earlier this year. You know, but then they, they ended up still. They still won by ten points. You know, it's like that's like a considerable down game for them. Uh, they're they're to a, a different level right now. And I used to have 
uh, a, a rule when, you know, I was back when Alabama was betting, I'd say, you know, you're never going to like be mad at yourself if you bet on Alabama and they don't cover the spread, whatever it is. If you're like, it, you know, you, you place a bet and it's Alabama, they don't win. Okay. Well, something, something crazy happened because you usually expect Alabama to, to roll. And that's just, that's who Georgia is now. Um, for the last, the better part of the last few years, uh, they, they just, they've shown us that they don't lose. Um, and, and Alabama still has question marks, as as Reiner alluded to, where it's like Milrow is is inconsistent at times, although he looks better, and it seems like they've kind of learned how to use use him properly. Could kill, could he completely kill him with their legs? Sure, I mean that could that could happen, and and if it does, that's fine. But even at five and a half, it's a number where if Georgia and Alabama go neck and neck, and it, Georgia could still cover with a, a last second touchdown to win the game. So so I'm I'm going to go with uh, with Georgia here and just trust. The, the sample size, trust the the last few seasons and, and really this season as well. Carson Beck and, and this team is, 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 if you didn't know any better, you'd think it's the same team as last year. I mean, they're not quite as dominant, but, but no matter who they seem to lose, it just, the show goes on. Yeah, no, it does. And uh, this will be, I think one of the most exciting championship weekends uh, in the college football playoff era. Question mark because uh, every single one of the Power Five title games has consequence, right? Like a complete consequence uh, and and ramifications elsewhere. I'd say the Big Ten title game has the least, uh, unless Iowa can somehow beat Michigan, and I don't know if that would knock them out. Maybe it would, um, but short of that, uh, the SEC game, which can go either way, and then either team could get in. Uh, same with the Pac-12 game, uh, Florida State, and seems to have things locked up, but Texas fighting for the outside shot, so uh, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, normally, this is where we would wrap it, but we have a Big Ten insider with us, and uh, Michigan State uh, has hired a new football coach that is very relevant to Michigan, obviously, so... Let's have Reiner break that down for us. Uh, We'll do that after we pay a little, uh, just a couple more bills. uh, And we'll do that briefly. Don't go anywhere. This is Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back, and uh, we're talking about the rival. Uh, not the rival that Michigan just beat, 30-24, to 24, but uh, the one 65 miles north in East Lansing, Michigan State, uh, has began a new era. Jonathan Smith from Oregon State, officially hired, officially signed, contract details released, uh, introduced in East Lansing. That was Tuesday. Reiner was there. Reiner, the question that needs to be asked for this podcast is, how does this affect Michigan? And is this something that uh, Michigan fans should be concerned with? I don't think in the immediate term, I mean, potentially down the road, I, th- I think Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, was a strong candidate. It was a strong hire. I mean, I think 
it was about as good as Michigan State could have done in this cycle. And I think, you know, they got definitely one of the, you know, premium names, uh, you know, that was out there. Uh, I think they took advantage of the situation with Oregon State uh, and the Pac-12 uh, dissolving, essentially. And I think, you know, Smith Smith and his agent were probably shopping his name probably since the summer, since this happened, knowing what was going, what was, you know, what the potential of it is. And so he, he was probably looking to land into the, you know, another uh, major conference and he did. And so MSU benefited from that, I think. And, you know, he has shown himself to be a program builder. I mean, they, he inherited a one and 11 team uh, in, you know, that you know, finished one 11, 2017 by 2022, they won 10 games. And so I think over the course, he's going to build, be able to build MSU into something. And I think his familiarity with the PAC 12, uh, helps, you know, considering that the Big Ten is adding four new Pac-12 teams. Uh, and so I think that'll help their recruiting also on the West Coast, potentially. Uh, it's a lot easier to sell West Coast recruiting, uh, you know, or the a Midwest school and to the West Coast now that the Pac-12 is going to have a, a wing out there in, in, on the West Coast. And so I think, uh, uh, I think that helps. Uh, but in the short term, I don't know, just because of how much roster attrition that they're going to have uh, and also being able to just install things uh, get, get, you know, the system up to speed. But I think in the long run, they might be in a better place than they were under Mel Tucker. Right. I certainly meant in the long run because Michigan is just at such a different place right now. Right. Right. Anyone, right. It would take a, Even if they, that pipe dream of urban Meyer came mm-hmm. through, um, it would still be hard to believe that in one year they'd be ready uh, to, to hang on that, uh, on that level. Um, but you, but you talk about it, it is a long term, and it is. What was your take? Does it feel like he fits at Michigan State? Like he's just sort of been, maybe better a better cultural fit than than Mel Tucker. Um, that seemed to be at least. The, I mean, I don't. The last person to lose a press conference is, will be the first, right? Or the next person will be the first. However, I think just reading between the lines with some of what uh, the athletic director Alan Haller said. And, and just the circumstances you were explaining, right, behind the timing of the Mel Tucker hire and how rushed that was versus now Mel Tucker's untimely or, or just very public exit. Uh, but the bright side was it gave them all year, uh, all season, all football season to really map this out. And uh, it seems like Alan Haller played, played it pretty close. I mean, obviously played it pretty close to the best. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I think that uh... – you know, Jonathan Smith, again, the fir- the main thing that he was, you know, sticking to was the fact that there's not going to be shortcuts. They're going to, you know, slowly build this. I mean, he's not going to, uh, you know, rush this uh, just like Alan Holler didn't want to rush the hiring process. And I think, you know, uh, there might not be some instant success and maybe not even instant results in the as it pertains to the, you know, the Michigan MSU rivalry. And I think, um, you know, Mel Tucker, you know, came in and it was like, you know, he, he got that victory in 2020 and, you know, that really kind of carried them forward into the next year. And then they were able to boost the roster temporarily with the transfer portal, but it wasn't sustainable. I mean, he didn't build a program per se. I mean, he was just kind of, you know, kind of winging it on the fly. And then, you know, the, the, the roster never seemed like it was totally stabilized and there was no set idea of what he really wanted to do. I think Smith is going to be able to do that. And I think he's a fit from a standpoint that he doesn't seem like a, a huge raw, raw guy. I mean, it sounds like he's just going to kind of, 
you know, put his nose to the grindstone and work and, you know, uh, just kind of uh, um, not be a, a flashy guy. And I think, you know, they're going to try to run the football. That's what they did at Oregon State. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of the physical stuff that you see probably with Michigan, too, with a little baby, you know, some spice added to it from an offensive standpoint with motions and and creativity uh, occasionally. But it's it's you know, I, I think he's a good fit for for them. And, uh, you know, it could potentially pose some problems depending on what happens also with Michigan. I mean, Michigan could be in a transition period themselves. I mean, it could be very much like 1995 where. You know, you had uh, basically George George Perlis and uh, Gary Moeller leave. Moeller left suddenly, just like Tucker. You know, Perlis was under NCAA issues, uh, which, which is kind of like what Harbaugh is. And so it's like flip flop, oh, yeah, yeah, and stuff. And now, and that introduced the Saban, Nick Saban, and Lloyd Carr period of. of <clears throat> and so I mean, who knows what could be in store. In the, in the next few months, and that could totally change the complexion of the rivalry itself. Right, right. But I, but I guess to your point, I, um, for, for what is known right now, uh, I always try to keep these lanes separate because it doesn't matter. But just knowing what I know about how people in East Lansing think about football, having gone to school there, right, from 2011 to 2015, uh, they appreciate that old school type of stuff, like that blue collar, that no, that that no flash they don't want the attention just do it just get it done right and so um it since that was sort of the tone i just think the tone resonates because uh, uh, last thought about the mel tucker thing wrap this up it always felt like we, we've used this this question before what is it that you say that you do here right because he was a defensive backs guy they had the right. worst secondary in the nation uh right. across his tenure and so your head coach, I mean, D'Antonio was a defense guy. Their defense was awesome, right? Your Harbaugh, the quarterback whisperer, right? He finally figured out his quarterback thing, and that's taken Michigan to the next thing. Your team, and but also he still had Harbaugh has his style of running the ball and the two tight ends yeah. and the pullback mm-hmm. and all the things he does. You have to have your style and your fit, and it has to fit where you're going, right? It's like like, like Rich Rod and the Michigan thing. Like, even though it could have worked, the, the the marriage wasn't right, right? Like, so this one, uh I'll give you the, fi- the final word, and uh, that's where it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, as I said, the Mel, Mel's situation wasn't, he, you know, again, he didn't create anything that was sustainable, that was lasting. Everything seemed like it, it was being put together, and then uh, it didn't, had a temporary feel to it, and you didn't, and there was a lot of contradictory stuff that was going on there. I mean, you know, even the way that, you know, the way that he was recruiting, you know, trying to attract people with kind of flash, and but yet was kind of claiming that he wanted to do meat and potatoes football. And I don't know how you marry the two together. I mean, you're either one or the other, and he just never, never had a clear identity of what, what he wanted to be. And so with, with Smith, I don't think you're going to run into those issues. I think it's going to be a lot more uh, stable, sound structure, uh, and clear idea of what he wants to do. And I think that's beneficial for Michigan State. And, you know, it could be good for the rivalry just to have some, you know, uh, a true true competition that's that's lasting instead of this kind of, you know, peaks and valleys that you've seen with uh, with Mel and uh, during the Mel Tucker era. Right. I mean, like, like an Izzo Beeline thing, right? Who, who right. doesn't want that? That's the best right. thing 
It, it, it's it's good. It is good for the rivalry. But but cut scene: Jonathan Jonathan Smith standing with Rottweilers in front of the Lambos in the middle of Spartan Stadium. I don't think you'll see uh, see that. No, uh, no, no. That's yeah, not happening. Yeah, wow. uh, no, negative oh, Ghost man. Rider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of a uh, photoshopping fun to be yeah. had with those ideas. <laughs> um, uh, but the next we speak to you. I imagine we'll be coming to you from Indy. One of us will be in Indy. We'll be coming back from Indy. We will know if we're going to Pasadena, if we're going to New Orleans. Uh, there's That was just a little aside. We just wanted to throw in some Michigan State stuff because we would have. It, it, it's relevant to the future of football, but just to, to bring it back home, big week right now. So, uh, Reiner, get down there safely. I will do the same. Andrew, thanks for doing everything. As, uh, as always, and, uh, and and our thanks to Editor-in-Chief Nicole Avery Nichols, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford, and Audio Engineer Robin Chan. Although today, Andrew is doing that as well. Not that it, Robin's not always great, but Andrew's doubly great today. So uh, for them, I'm me. That's Tony. We'll talk to you next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.